As an American, I love living in Plymouth. This city is rich in history and culture. It has spectacular scenery and amazing architecture. In my time here, I have discovered plenty of hidden histories tucked away, each of them with fascinating stories to tell. I'm Bobby Inman. Come with me as we explore Beyond the Mayflower Steps. Living in Plymouth has certainly given me many fresh perspectives from events of the long-ago past. But my views of a more recent era of history have completely changed since coming here, and that is World War II. Not just Plymouth, but the county of Devon as a whole was a vital area during the war, and Americans had training and housing camps far and wide. As many as 36,000 American soldiers left from Plymouth headed to the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. Because after all, France is only about 20 miles beyond the Mayflower Steps. Plymouth's position on the south coast has for centuries been a place of strategic military importance. And this was never more true than during World War II. Even before the Americans' arrival, Plymouth had already become the most bombed city in England during the German blitz of the country. Between 1940 and 1942, the city was demolished by a series of bombing raids targeting the naval dockyard, but the city itself bore the brunt of many of these attacks. During raids in March and April of 1941, over 100 million pounds worth of damage was incurred as over 25,000 buildings were flattened, leaving much of the city's population homeless, with many fleeing to Dartmoor to sleep in barns and stables. Most of the city's children had already been evacuated there at the beginning of the war. North of the Mayflower Steps, across from the main entrance to Drake Circus Shopping Center, is the Charles Church Memorial. This is where the skeletal remains of the second oldest church in Plymouth, behind St. Andrews, have been left standing as a reminder of the devastation Plymouth had suffered, but also as a symbol of its resilience. I've spoken to many individuals who lived during that time, and the indelible spirit of the people is still palpable today. The residents here had seen several cities throughout Great Britain flattened by the Blitz, and when the bombs started falling here, I get the sense that the people here were not just ready as they could be, but they were proud to be bearing their brunt of the war, the pain and the tragedy that it was bringing. The Minster Church of St. Andrew was also flattened, and it became a symbol of the spirit of the people as well. Here's Church's story and Jack Spence with the story. And so, Jack, we're, we're back here uh, at the Minster Church of St. Andrew and wanted to talk about the word resurgum that's above the door uh, and, and how that's associated with the church. Well, this, uh, the word resurgum uh, first appeared on the church in 1941. The church was bombed over a period of two nights, the 20th and 21st of March, 1941. And after the second night of bombing, uh, a local, the headmistress of a local school uh, took it about herself to, to put the word resurgam above the door, which means, of course, uh, I shall rise again. And it was intended to inspire people to believe that the church would rise again. It would not remain a relic forever. 
And that word, as I say, has been there ever since. Well, and I, I really think that spirit and, and that word encompasses the spirit that, that Plymouth and, and Devon, when you research the, the feelings during the war and, and the perspectives of the war, by the time the bombing came here, Bristol had been bombed and Exeter had been bombed, and the people of Plymouth were ready to bear their, their share of the, the bombing and their brunt of the war. And, and so I really, I, you, you see that indelible spirit I examples all over. And, and you know, from that rubble and, and the rising again, they obviously did with what inspired the, the name of the Garden Church. Yes, well, until 1943, uh, the congregation couldn't get back into the church, it was too dangerous. But in 1943, they decided to clear all the debris. And from then on, for the next six years, they uh, had services in the church every week, irrespective of the, the weather, rain, snow, shine, whatever. And uh, say so for six years, this was the, uh, became the garden church. And um, 1949, that came to an end because the, uh, they started to rebuild the church, which went on for eight years, and the church was uh, reconsecrated in 1957. And, and you yourself, you said you could remember uh, attending services. Yes, I can remember the, going into the church when there were no windows. To, I think the roof was on by then, but certainly there were no windows. And I remember being in there with, as a choir boy and seeing birds flying in and out of the window. And uh, it was quite, uh, quite amazing. Something. Well, you know, Plymouth, the, the history of the war is, is written in this city in, in many ways. And once again, thank you, Jack, for your time. And I really appreciate it. You are listening to Beyond the Mayflower Steps. Beyond the Mayflower Steps. Beyond the Mayflower Steps. The podcast. A large American military base was constructed by the banks of the River Tamar on the western edge of Plymouth. Vicarage Road Camp and U.S. Naval Base served many functions, such as training, vessel repair, and supplying food and clothing to troops moving to and from France. The Saltash Passage is where the U.S. 4th and 29th Divisions left on D-Day for the shores of France. I've heard and read stories of the interactions of the U.S. soldiers had with the Plymouthians who remained in the city, and it is obvious that these encounters left their mark. Most of those I've spoken to were barely teenagers during the war, or even younger if their parents had decided not to evacuate them. One of the things that is talked about time and time again is the generosity of the American soldiers, that they showed to the people of Plymouth. During a time of rationing and shortages throughout Europe, the Hershey chocolate bars, canned goods, clothing, food, and fruits such as oranges and bananas and grapes seemed extravagant to the children, most of whom would be experiencing some of those foods for the very first time. An economy of sorts arose 
with some of the women of Plymouth offering laundry service in exchange for items that ensured they didn't have to use precious ration coupons. Entrepreneurial youngsters learned quickly that slipping a couple of beers to soldiers living on a dry base was an easy way to make their pockets jingle with change, or maybe they could even get a dollar. Signs still remain in many places in and around the city of those men stationed here, a great number of them never returning home. In the northeastern part of the city is an area known as St. Budo, where a street called Normandy Way can be found, which descends down a steep hill to join Normandy Hill and almost extends to the shores of the River Tamar. Here stands a memorial to the brave men who boarded their landing craft from this very spot. The slipways, built by the U.S. military, still exist today and were known as chocolate hards, as they looked like the bars of chocolate frequently handed out by the troops. An American sign that guided the troops down Route 23 was preserved after they departed and makes up part of the present-day monument. Camps for these men were set up in Mount Edgecombe Park, which is just across Plymouth Sound, and Anthony Park, which is just on the other side of the River Tamar, beyond the town of Torpoint, and Saltram Park, which you can reach by following UK Cycle Route 27 from the Mayflower Steps, embarking on an approximately 30-minute walk. At Saltram Park, which is a National Trust property, many soldiers carved names, initials, and dates into some of the trees, and examples of these can still be seen today. U.S. training facilities existed throughout Devon, including Dartmoor, where thousands of Americans were encamped. Although preservative measures means very little surface evidence remains today. One place where some relics remain is Slapton Sands, just over 20 miles away east of Plymouth along the coast, and it is the site of one of World War II's most tragic events. Due to its resemblance to the beaches in France that were to be stormed on D-Day, Slapton was chosen for extensive maneuver exercises, including live fire drills. During Operation Tiger in April of 1944, an unfortunate combination of bad weather and poor communication resulted in friendly fire deaths. The next day, a patrol of German e-boats attacked a convoy of vessels, positioning themselves for the landing. These two events resulted in almost a thousand American servicemen's deaths and are commemorated today at the site by several monuments, including a Sherman tank pitted by years of being submerged in the salt water, and it was raised in 1984 with the aid of local residents and diving firms. When I walk around the Mayflower Steps in the Ho today, I not only think about the brave pilgrims heading to their new world, but also those soldiers from that horrendous time in history, leaving here, heading out into their own unknown. Being able to see, even today, some of what they left behind has certainly made me appreciate their effort and sacrifice in a new and tangible way. I had never experienced this before, and it has certainly helped me to explore beyond the Mayflower Steps. Be sure to check out www.mayflower400uk.org for details of the many events, projects, and exhibits that will be happening throughout the commemorations all through the city. You've been listening to Beyond the Mayflower Steps. Production and sound design by Jake Bradshaw. Logo designed by Jack Neal. 
graphic design and digital communication by Noemi Bracci, and hosted by me, Bobby Inman, for JB International Productions. <laughs>